this is a whole new month and so it means we're doing a whole new series and we're doing a series this month on worship as you can see on the screen which is a pretty exciting thing because worship is such a significant part of a community of any believers uh, worship is an integral part and in, in, in fact <clears throat> you know maybe music is a normal thing to the world <clears throat> excuse me but actually worshiping someone that we can't see with our own eyes would seem like a peculiar uh, endeavor for any group of people to do <clears throat> that's something that is usually only reserved for those that would be considered as religious and so today we are we're starting this whole uh, uh, series on worship and today we're going to look at the reverence of the father and next week we're going to look at uh, in the grace of the Son, and in the following week, we're going to be looking at in the power of the Spirit. This is how we, the three different ways that we actually worship God. And so today, I have the privilege of talking about worship in the reverence of the Father. And so I'm going to start off with a question today, and it's this. What is worship, and are we doing it right? Technically, that's two questions, okay? What is worship, and are we doing it right? Well, worship is quite simply this. Worship is the act of showing someone or something their worth. It's the act of showing someone their worth. In fact, this is where we get our word worship from. It's actually worth-ship. Now, there are some people who would say, well, I don't worship. I don't worship anything. Well, the fact is, I believe that everyone worships something. If anything, the way that we could look at it is that subconsciously, most people, I would say that everyone on earth believes that if they could just attain something, or if they could just have something, or if they could become something, then they'll be full, then they'll be complete in life. Well, technically, that is, your, that is measuring yourself against something else that you need, and so therefore, that is some form of worship. In life, everybody worships to some degree or other. But as Christians, are we doing this worship? We can accept that everyone worships and we, we can accept that we as Christians, we come on a Sunday morning, we sing our songs and, and we try to honor God with everything that we do. I guess the, the question I'm really trying to dig into is are we doing worship right? Are we doing worship correctly? What I want to do is I want to look at, I want to look into Scripture right now. And I've got a lot of Scripture today, so you'll have to forgive me if you have to try and keep up with, with all the amount of Scripture that I'm putting uh, towards you here. But this is something that's really important because I really do want to get to a point. You probably noticed that uh, I'm wearing a new style of clothing. I'm trying to set a new trend for the young people. This is, this is the new trend. And before you know it, everybody will be dressing like this, okay? This is the cool way that people dress now. And you might look at me and think I'm dressed rather oddly for uh, doing a teaching on a stage about, uh, you know, about God from the Scriptures. I would agree with you on that. But before we actually have a look at, at why I'm wearing these clothes right now, I want to look at what was it that was expected from worship in the Scriptures. And there's two sources right now that I want to look at in the Old Testament. And the first one is Cain and Abel because they were the first instance of worship. And then I want to look at Moses and the tabernacle because that was, the, that was really the, the first time when worship was really codified. It was really a template was set in order to give instruction to us on how we should actually worship God. So let's look at the first one, and that is Cain and Abel. We're looking at Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 to 7. And Cain and Abel, in case you don't know, is that was the, the first two offspring from Adam and Eve. This uh, Cain was the first son, and then Abel was the second son, and uh, they were the, the first two children that, that Adam and Eve had. So the, the way that they worshipped, they must have learned it from Adam and Eve themselves. Adam and Eve must have taught them, this is how you worship, and this is how we get to this story. 
Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And right after that, Cain was so incensed with being rebuked by God that he went out into the field to where his brother was and he killed his brother and that's the first recorded murder in the Bible. Now let's look at this quickly because I I don't want to spend too long into this but there are three things that I quickly see in this and the first one is this, is that there was a set time for when they were meant to worship. There was a set time because it says in the course of time. It just means, it doesn't mean uh, at some point they just decided to, let's worship God today. No, in the course of time, which means at a set and specific time, at a moment. When was that? Was it a Sunday? Was it a Tuesday? Was it a Monday? I don't really know. But what we do is we have a set time ourselves when we worship God uh, in a congregation and we do that on a Sunday morning. The second thing I see is this, that there was a set place. Abel brought an offering. Cain brought an offering. They brought it. They didn't just have it right there and say, okay, God, you can have that portion and then walk away. No, what they did is he took, they took the best of what they had and they brought it to God. So therefore, there must have been a set place to, for them to have brought to God. In fact, Later on, you'll, you'll, you've seen in the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, when people actually built altars and they had to build physical altars and then they would bring a gift to God and put it on the altar. There was also then, the third thing was that they had a set offering and that was that God had mandated that there was something that had to be given to him. Now we know this with what happened with Cain. He brought the best of his crops and gave it to God and God said, that's not what I asked for. Now, how is it that God came up with this offering? Well, the only way we can truly understand this was that God had to kill something in order to cover over the nakedness and the sin of Adam and Eve. And when he took an animal and he killed the animal, he gave them the skins of the animal and covered over Adam and Eve. That's where we kind of understand where the the whole point of worshiping God comes from, where they had to literally take the best of their animals and sacrifice it to God. Now, to you and I, that seems like a peculiar thing. And really, is that really what God wants? Well, the fact is... God did it himself as an example for covering over Adam and Eve. And for some reason, this is the pattern that followed on. And we can see with Cain and Abel here that when Cain brought his gift of crops, God said, that's not what I asked for. And so therefore, his worship was rejected. What was God's expectation? God's expectation was this. He expects two things, that the offerer must be right and the offering must be right too. The offerer must be right. He then must be right as a person, having the right attitude. And we could tell that Cain didn't have the right attitude. And it looks like his attitude was a reaction to God's rejection when the fact is God probably saw his heart already and said, you know fine well that's not what I told you to do. It's not like you got confused with getting the wrong information. There's only two other people on earth who have told you what to do and have told you exactly what to do. It was your mom and dad and you know exactly what you're meant to do. He knew what his attitude was and of course his attitude manifested when his worship was rejected. The offering must be right too. 
See, uh, what Cain could have done is he could have humbled himself and gone to his brother and said, listen, I don't actually have any sheep. I don't have any animals. Can I take what I do have and trade it with you to receive the right thing? Can you help me have the right thing and take it to God? There's a good chance Abel said, sure, I would have done that. I would have given that to you. But instead, he got jealous against his brother. He didn't want his brother's help. More than that, he wanted to get rid of his brother because he was sick and tired of his brother living up to the goody two-shoes and being in God's favor. And now he hated him. It turned into a bitterness. The offering must be right and the offerer must be right. The offering and the offerer must be right. All right, let me switch gears here. I'm going to now jump over to Moses and the tabernacle. Now, this was, of course, you know the story of, of Moses, I'm sure, you know, as, as uh, uh, years and years later on, as, the, as uh, uh, Joseph moved to uh, uh, Egypt, and then the, the, his family finally moved there as well, and they, be, they, 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 they started to live in Egypt, and they grew into a nation, and then they became slaves there, and then remember the story of Ben-Hur and all that, no, not Ben-Hur, who is the guy, um, uh, Charlton Heston, he came, otherwise known as Moses, and he came and said, let my people go, let my peeps go right? So then he goes and he takes them into the desert and then they walk through the desert and they're walking through the desert for 40 years before they get to the promised land. And it says that God met with Moses to give him instruction. And he gave him instruction on a couple of things. He gave him instruction on how to treat God and he gave him instructions on how to treat each other. That's what the law of the Old Testament is all about. It's how we treat each other and it's how we actually treat God. But in that, that amount of, of, of instruction that God gave to Moses, he gave him very specific instruction on how to worship him. There was two things that he specifically said. He said that he gave him construction or he gave him instruction on the construction of how he was to be worshipped. That is, they gave him a, a, a construction of the holy place. And I've got a map here, and this is called the tabernacle, where they would put this kind of wall up all the way around. And right here, when they came in through the gate, they would take their they would take their their their, their sacrifice and they would sacrifice the altar. And of course, you have a wash basin here because you had to always uh, uh, make sure that you were clean before you went into the Holy of Holies. And when they went into the Holy of Holies, they'd make a sacrifice. And Sorry, this is the holy place. And then they would go to this back place, which is the Holy of Holies, which is where God was actually meant to be. Now, now to, to go forward maybe another several hundred years, um, we know the story of, uh, of Herod, who had, who, sorry, David, who had come up with the plans for the temple and then gave the plans to his son called Solomon. And Solomon started building this temple. And of course, we call this Herod's temple as well, where they built this massive temple as, an, as a demonstration, as an example of the instructions that God had given to Moses of how they were actually meant to worship God, okay? So it's the kind of the same layout. Now, you see that's an American football field right here. And we have this massive uh, 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 temple that was built in order for people to be able to come to God to worship him. And even today, you'll see it on the news, they talk about the, the temple mount, right? There's a temple mount, there's a platform, you've heard of the wailing wall, and uh, people, you've got the Jews that go to the one side and they worship God on one side, and then you've got the Muslims that come to the other side and they worship God on another side. It's, it's, it's very confusing, but let me go back, get back to this. So it's basically laid out in the same way where people would come in, and this would be the outer court where they would prepare themselves, and they would bring their initial sacrifice, and then they would actually go into the inner court, and they would give their sacrifice, and then it would be accepted by them, and then the priest would have to go inside which is called the Holy of Holies and the priest was the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to give the sacrificial lamb 
So it was meant to be a par- perfect lamb once a year, went into the Holy Holies, he killed the sacrificial lamb, and that was the lamb that was going to cover over all the sins of all the people of Israel. Are you following me so far? Right, okay. I'm sorry if this is a lot of information. I did say it was going to be a lot of information. Here's the good news. You listening? Here's the good news. The good news is this, that Jesus is the way to the Father, that he has opened up the way for us to go into the Holy of Holies. We know this. We as Christians, and if you don't really know what that's about, this is the reason why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He was the one that was perfect enough to go into the Holy of Holies and make a way for us to get in there ourselves. We no longer had to send somebody else in on our behalf and then hope that that would last for a whole year and then through all of our other sins that would, that would happen thereafter, we'd have to come up with another sacrifice and give it to God. No, it says that Jesus was that one sacrifice. In Hebrews 9.12, it says, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus attaining eternal redemption. You see how the same pattern of him being the sacrifice in front of our God is the same as what happened with the tabernacle and happened with Cain and Abel. Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, that's boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We know this is very true. We know this in our heart of hearts that, that, that God has now made a way for us to be able to boldly approach him ourselves. We don't have to send someone else in to do all the dirty work for us. We are able to go and approach the Father ourselves. This is why we're able to gather together uh, every week and boldly worship God in such a way that we know that he accepts us not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. It says that when Jesus died on the cross, the temple curtain, which was, the, was this massive thick temple curtain that was in the Holy of Holies, it separated the Holy of Holies away from all the peasants like us. And there was the, the curtain was like 60 foot tall and it was like the thickness of a hand. And it said it was torn from the top to the bottom, which tells us that someone with the power to tear, to tear that curtain must have ripped it themselves. And that we believe was God himself. God tore open the curtain and said, listen, everything is now being cleared between me and you. There is nothing between me and you anymore because of what my son has done for me. He has cleared all your debts. That's what we believe, right, as Christians. Someone shout amen or hallelujah. The grace of Christ is here for us. Our hearts are now the altar. We don't have a special altar somewhere else. This stage isn't the altar. This is a type of altar, but this is not the altar. The altar is now our hearts. Our hearts are the place where the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells like the Father dwelled in the Holy of Holies. We don't have to be perfect because Christ was perfect for us. That's good news, isn't it? Except I have a problem. Here we go again, Peter has a problem. I have a problem and it's this. I believe that the approach of God has not changed. I believe our ability to go to God has changed. The way that we can, the the, the expectation of that I have to be perfect before God, that's changed. But the approach of God has not changed. Let me explain this. And forgive me if this maybe gets to a place where you're like, I'm not too sure about this. And if you're not, then you should check everything I say because I am not Apostle Peter. I'm just Peter, right? Check everything I say. But I believe and I wonder if we have gotten too much grace in our church. 
And I've seen this from church to church. This is like the, the in teaching right now across America in churches. And, I, and again, I'm, I'm not about to say that grace is wrong. Grace is good. The problem that I see with it is this, that grace has somehow replaced reverence to some degree. What I wonder if we have given ourselves so much grace that we've decided that it doesn't matter how we approach God, but grace doesn't replace reverence. If anything, I'm a little concerned sometimes that I wonder if worship is like a personal pick-me-up rather than what I tell God that he is worth. It's sometimes I wonder if we're, I need to, I just, I've just been having a difficult week this week and I feel really down and I've, and I've really struggled. I really need to get into the presence of God. And so therefore I'm going to the presence of God because of what it does for me. But if I didn't have a difficult week, then maybe I don't have to go to church. Maybe I don't have to worship God. Maybe I don't have to take the time to tell him what his worth is. And what we've done is we've converted to some degree worship into a personal pick-me-up. But the Bible tells us that the offerer must be right and the offering must be right. So what I did is I decided to go look at what did Jesus have to say about this? Because if there's anyone who knows worship, surely it's Jesus because he was the perfect worship. He was the perfect sacrifice himself. And this is what I found. There were two things that Jesus said about approaching God. And it's this, tardiness and tidiness tardiness and tidiness. He told us two different parables for a very specific reason, and it was about how we approach God. Let's look at the first one. The first one is this. In Matthew chapter 25, 1 to 13, we read of the parable of the 10 virgins, and it says this. At midnight, <laughs> excuse me, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lambs. Their lamps, sorry. Now, this is a, a, a parable where he's talking about where there was a bridegroom that was meant to come for his brides. Now, we're not into multiple brides. I get that. But he was telling a story that was contextualized to what they did do in those days. And so there was brides that were meant to be making themselves ready in order to receive the bridegroom. And the bridegroom, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this bridegroom that is coming for his brides. And we get to uh, chapter, sorry, verse six. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. That means they filled them up. They, 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 pre they prepared them. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, Peter, is this not about the final day, the last day when Christ comes? Yes, I guess, I suppose it is. But really what we're doing during the week and every day on a Sunday morning is somewhat a preparation, a practice for when Christ does return. Now, maybe we can look at this and go, but this is the virgins that were ready. That's the ones that are saved as opposed to the ones who weren't ready. Those are the ones that are not saved. They're not even following Christ. Uh-uh. They were already waiting for Christ to come. They were waiting for the bridegroom to come. They were the betrothed. They were the ones who had given themselves to the bridegroom. That's those who still count themselves as Christians. 
Now, let me make this point. As much as this point of, of being ready on time, I believe, is so important, I'm not about to, to mandate that the church were about to take a roster of what time you came to church on Sunday morning, right? That's not what we're about to do. The church is not in the position where we have to hand out the judgments of God. We're in the position where we actually have to convey the grace of God. God will take care of all the judgments himself. Just as the other virgins didn't sit there and went, uh, 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 you're in trouble now, girl, because you don't have your oil. <laughs> Who the heck are you? They just said, listen, listen, I've got what I've got for me. I can't do it for you. You need to go get your, th- your stuff for yourself. You better run and get yourself ready. That's what the church is meant to do, to encourage each other to say, make yourself ready for the coming of the bridegroom. This wasn't just about that they weren't ready and they weren't dressed right. This was about that they weren't ready on time. Hello. And I wonder if sometimes when we're approaching God, we do it on our own time. Sometimes I wonder if we even come to church and we haven't made the preparation the night before or the night the night before in order to be ready for Sunday morning. We wake up on Sunday morning and go, I guess I should go to church. Maybe I should get the kids ready. Maybe I should decide what I should wear this morning. But we've not actually taken the time to make ourselves ready for God. And that's why we're capable and we're actually okay with turning up late to church That's why we're okay with going, well, that will do with what I wear and that will do with my attitude and that will do, this will be good enough for God. But in my opinion, you're working under the operation of the grace of Christ, but you're not making yourself ready for the best of Christ. You're not making yourself ready for giving your best to the Father. Being on time, I believe, matters. And I'm not here to go, "Mm -mm -mm, look at your late. It's not my job. It's up to you. But you have to ask yourself the question, are you making yourself ready the night before? Because what you consume into yourself sticks to you the next day, and then that's what's in your mind, that's what's in your heart, that's what's on your body, that's what's in your stomach, and what you bring to church on a Sunday morning is affected by how you readied yourself the night before. Hello. This is important. I didn't tell this story. Jesus told this story. That tardiness makes a difference to our approach to God. My dad used to always say, if you're on time, you're late. It's better that you should be ready before. So if anything happens like you do run out of oil, you're always going to be ready. Listen, the psalmist said this, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Your worship is not meant to start at 10 30 in the morning. It's not meant to start, or 11. It's not meant to start at 9.30. It should start the night before. That's what it does, what it takes in order to approach God. Here's the other example that Jesus gave us there. He gave us the example of tardiness, but he also gave us the example of tidiness. And he gives this story about this man who was a king, and he had a wedding that he had for his son. And Jesus telling the story, he said, go out and get the guests that I've invited. He took his servants, he said, tell my guests to come. And one by one they said, listen, I'm sorry, I don't have the time. I've got, I've, I've got a job, I've got a new bride and I, I need to attend to her so I can't come to your son's wedding. And the other one went, no, I'm really sorry. I've got a job I've got to fix on my house and uh, Home Depot has got the, the things that I need. So I need to go there to Home Depot and get the stuff that I need to work on my house this morning. Someone else said, hey, I've got a new donkey. I need to try it out. It's called a Lamborghini and I need to contest this thing out, right? 
And so he said this in verse 8. He says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. I find that interesting, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen. Wow. What do you think he was saying here? Now when I came out on stage, you're probably wondering why the heck I was wearing these clothes. These are my painting clothes, right? And the first thing that probably went through your head was this, he's not ready to teach. He's not ready to preach. Either that or he's got something up his sleeve, right? But it doesn't look like that's the type of clothes you should be wearing in order to give the words of Christ from the Bible. Surely we shouldn't be doing this. But what I want to look at is this. This man wasn't ready and God picked it out. He didn't go, that guy's not ready. Don't worry about it. No, it's okay. It's all good. No, no, no. This was the middle of his wedding party for his son and he went, wait a second. Why are you not ready? Why are you not wearing the clothes? And God didn't say, well, run home and get what you need. He kicked him out. This is pretty serious stuff. You can see why I titled my service, uh, the, the, the sermon today, in the reverence of God. Because God is serious about how we're meant to approach him. There's an expectation of how we're meant to present ourselves. This is about casual versus reverential. I don't want to bring myself casually. Now, make, let me make this clear as well. As much as we're not going to check what time you came to the church, we're neither going to check that you're living up to some sort of dress code. Remember, this was a parable, but it was an example of what's on the outside. It was an example of what was on the inside of our hearts. What was on our inside? Are we dressed right? Are we prepared correctly to be able to present ourselves to God? We have told people so much, come as you are. When the, when the Father is saying, don't come as you are, come as your best and bring your best to me. Because that's what God expects of those who call themselves saved as those who call themselves the believers. We're meant to bring our best to God. How are we ever going to imagine that anyone would say, I want to be a part of your God if they can't see that our God brings out the best out of us? Our God is meant to bring the best out of us, but we're not giving our best to Him. Let me go back to this. The offerer must be right and the offering must be right as well. Imagine if I went to the president today regardless of who's in the White House. And I walked up to him like this. He told me, hey, I want to have a meeting with you, Peter. And I went and I took my invitation. And I went to the gates and I said, I'm here for the president. They would look me up and down and say, you're not ready, son, to, reach the, to, to meet the president. If we're not ready to meet the president of this country, what makes us think that we're ready to meet the king of kings of the universe? When what we haven't done is prepared ourselves to the best. Now, I'm not expecting that everyone's going to turn up in a suit and tie next week at all. But I am expecting that you become mindful of what you are bringing to God. Because we approach a holy God. 
And we must come in reverence to Him.